Hello, my friends. Nothing like a little excitement. Oh, my goodness. Oh, thank you. Yes, ma'am. Oh, great. A transformer just blew. You can't stop God, though. You couldn't stop us singing. And you can't stop God. Amen. Let's pray together real quick, and then we will rest our feet. If you're in heels, then you'll appreciate that. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come to you, and I thank you for these amazing women that turned out tonight. God, I ask that you would open up their hearts, open up their minds, that revelation, something that they did not know, maybe an aha moment for them tonight. And uh, we just praise you, we thank you, and we know you're in this place because the lights came back on. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Okay, I love to welcome you guys. This is our first ever conference. Pretty excited, to be honest with you. Um, I'm excited for many, many reasons. One is because, like, I know that if I had said Hope Lipley was going to be speaking for the next four services, this place might be half full. But I had an amazing group of women say they would come in and just help me out. And so thank you. I got Mags or Megalis and Adalis here tonight. Yes. Pastor Adalis. Um, and Pastor Donica is coming in tomorrow. They are killing it in Texas. They are killing it in Texas right now. Um, but listen, there are some people in this room that like just went above and beyond. If you guys in any way help put this thing together, from the bottom of my heart, I say thank you. And uh, we couldn't have done this. This up here, like this stage, um, when I said, I said in, um, I think it was February when we, we bought the building in January, and in February, we were in here like 24 hours a day for the most part. And I remember David Lee, he was out in that entryway, and he probably regrets ever saying it to me. But he said, um, I said, I think I'm going to do a ladies' conference this year. And he's like, oh, yeah, Rexanne. And she can kill him later. But Rexanne does, like, design. Like, she's good. You could have her help you out. And I said, I will never forget you told me that. And I did not. That's the reason why this looks like this. Thank you, Rexanne. You knocked it out of the park. All of this, she did a great job. Um, but I will tell you, Rexanne had never done anything like this before. And it's kind of the theme for the night, to be honest with you. It's... Um, when I decided to do this, I knew what I wanted to do it on. I knew the colors that I wanted to pick. I knew the theme that I wanted to do it to be. I wanted friendships to be cultivated, relationships to be renewed if, there, if that needed to be done. Um, whether it's in here or outside, lots of us have, COVID has caused a lot of friction be, between family and friends for renewing and, and creating a a culture of redemption is super important. And so as a Christian, that's our job, is to always redeem. So I wanted it to be about friendship. I wanted it to be about redemption. But mostly I wanted it for people to see who they are in Christ. I was talking to Tom about it when we were actually, um, when Pastor Jonathan was in Naples, Tom and I were headed down there. They... Um, they are very grateful people, which is very unusual in the church world because a lot of times churches have their hands out versus being grateful. When the word is very clear in the, in, in the last days, people will no longer be thankful. Their ministry is opposite of that. So um, he invites people who invest in them. He invests back. And one of the ways he invests back is he um, will take you to lunch. He'll make sure that you know what's going on with the ministry. But he's also just has such a grateful heart, a very humble person. And so um, 
So we were headed down there, and I, and I said to Tom, um, Tom is, like, at Christmas time, he, if I decorate, it's going to stink. If he decorates, because he's watched so many Hallmark movies, <laughs> I'm not kidding you, because he's watched so many Hallmark movies, like, you walked into the winter wonderland. And I am the runner. Go and go to Hobby Lobby, get this. Go over here and get this. I'm like, as long as I'm not decorating, I'll be your runner all day long. I hate it. And I, and he, he says that I do this, and he's probably right. I make it look ex- especially bad so that I don't have to do it. <laughs> I hate it. So we're driving down to Naples, and I said to him, I was like, I know everything, but I just don't know what I want the name to be. And names are important. So he was like, well, what do you want it to be about? And I said, and I told him everything what I just said. I want friendship, bonding, relationship, but most of all, knowing who you are in Christ, but to know your value and your love. And he said, well, Jesus called John his beloved. Why don't you name it Beloved? And I went, I started crying. Okay, I don't cry. I never cry. And you guys know this. Tom even says I have a chip missing. So, like, I don't cry. But I knew then that's, that's the name because the tears. Um, so I was like, that's it. The great thing about John, um, Jesus had three really close friends besides the 12, but um, out of all of them, and this should speak by the time we're all done with this weekend, I want you to realize who you are, just like when Jesus looked at John, that's how he looks at you. Because John, Jesus had brothers and sisters, and at the foot of the cross when John was there with, his, with Jesus' mother, Jesus asked John to entrust him with his mother. Mary went home with him, and she lived with him until her last days. Wouldn't that be awesome if we were and we felt like John did? Because what an honor. Like, who do you love more than anything? For me, I love my dad, but my dad was like, even though he was a little leprechaun, he was Irish as Irish can be. And like, he literally was a little leprechaun. I owe my shortness to him. But, and Tommy hates it because he needs the height for, for fighting. But he, he got screwed on that one because of my dad. Yeah, um, but my mom, like, I would be really picky who was going to take care of her. And I think all of us, really, if we say we have a great mom, we would be the same. And Jesus, I mean, how awesome is that? So this weekend, I want you to realize who you are, how valued you are. And it's not because you and your own might, but it's the gifts and the callings that God has provided you with that you need to walk out in. And if you don't know him, by the end of the weekend, by the end of tonight, let that change so that you can see and feel all the things that we do so that you can go out and accomplish the same things. Amen? Okay. So, there are ladies here. Like, look at the, the girls in the back on the cameras. Okay, they've never done this before. Hello. Make me look good, girls. My, this side's my best side. That's my best side. My little cutie pie, Riley, who's doing the, the clicking of the songs. Okay, it's never been done better before. Guys ain't got nothing on you. My little broadcaster in the back, Sarah, she's got, she's never done it before. She's got some background, but she doesn't have this. And Sarah's got a little bit of hope in her. And then Sarah, if you can hear me, take her down some notches, sister, because it ain't going to be perfect. She's probably freaking out back there. It's going to be all right, girl. We got volume in Tom's office for you. Um, But the thing is, all these women that are doing this, they've never done it before. It proves my point. This is a woman's night or weekend, and we, we have women, women that said, I don't know how to do this, but I'm going to do it. That's us. They are, you are no different than them, and now they have a ministry to be a part of that they would have never done 
if it wasn't for this weekend. Now we have more people, right? Amen. So I want to share a little bit about me. It could be a long little bit about me, but I'm going to make it as brief as I possibly can so that you understand the woman before you now was a hot mess and God has totally turned her around. So if you're a hot mess, there's hope for you, okay? And I can dare say that there's a whole lot of me in here versus like my sister. I have, there's a total of us three. I have an older sister named Sandy. Then my parents got saved and they started being biblical. Then there's hope. <laughs> then there's John. Everybody's got to have a John if you're, if you're a Christian family. And then there was faith. And we all hated faith because faith was the baby, but she was also very perfect. And I mean that sincerely because she's pretty dang perfect and she's sweet as pumpkin pie. I was the black sheep because I'm totally opposite of faith. At five years old, I got saved. I remember it like it was yesterday. Back in the day, they used to have these wooden altars. You guys remember them? You go up, you say the sinner's prayer, you bow down. Okay, yeah. We don't have that anymore, and there's good things and bad things about that. But at five years old, I remember going up, saying the sinner's prayer, and bawling my eyes out. I gave myself, I knew what I did. I knew who Jesus was, and I knew that I wanted him, and I knew I changed my life. I cried and cried and cried, and I remember getting up and going back to my mama and t- saying, I got a terrible headache. And that's because you've been crying. It was I knew. So when parents say that at five years old, kids are too young, you're not too young. If you train them up, they know. Get them while they're young, guys. Get them while they're young. At 19, I thought I was smart. So I met a boy. Not good. I met a boy, and I decided that I was going to give the God thing. And I literally remember leaving church with my girlfriend And I lived in Washington, D.C., right outside of it. And I remember going towards, on the Beltway, heading towards D.C. And I remember saying, I think I'll give this God thing a break for a while. And I did exactly. She's like, are you sure you want to do that? And I'm like, yeah. I've done it for a while. How bad could it get? Oh, Lord, it gets bad. (laughs) Real quick. It got bad real quick. I... For about four years, from 19 to 23, 24, I lived wild as wild can be. I uh, partied as hard as you possibly can because this personality here is a very extreme personality. So I was out there. It was rough. I put my parents through you-know-what and back. It was rough for them. And at 24... I decided I think I'm going to get my life right because this is terrible. This is horrible. And the reason I did is for multiple reasons. But I remember at 23, it was around Christmas time. I had just been home with my family for Christmas. I was living in D.C. They were living down here now. And so I went to bed one night after Christmas. It was like the beginning of January. I went to bed one night, and I had a dream. And in the dream, it was clear as day. I've never had a dream like this. Maybe one other one. But really, I, the Lord came to me and he said, if you do not get your life right, you and I, we will not exist together and you will not live. You will die. Okay, that scared the crap out of me. I ain't going to lie to you. I called my mom and I said, and you know, I think back to it now and I never thought about it until recently, but she was probably going, like music to her ears, uh, I said to her, I was like, oh my gosh, mom, like I had a dream last night. God said he's going to, I'm going to die and I need to get my life right. And she's like, well, you're lucky because that doesn't happen to everybody. Well, you think that would wake me up, but it didn't. I kept partying and kept being naughty. And, uh, but God had been pulling at me and pulling at me prior to that. So, um, in February, my uncle was, my favorite uncle was killed in a car accident. Now that'll hit you to the core because you've had that dream. 30 days later to the day, my grandfather has a massive heart attack. And that's March. April, I come down to visit and I say, I'm moving in with you guys. <laughs> I'm getting my life right. I'm not doing this anymore. 
I met Tom about a year later at church. Tom does not look like Tom did then. I dated Tom for humor, not looks, because he had none. And I'm not kidding, girls. He was uh, 200, like 280 pounds. Big Tommy. Uh, he was not his, oh, mm. his clothing was stuck 10 to 15 years behind him. His hair, I don't even know. His shoes, he had these shoes he wore to church that were dress shoes that the toe looked like elf's feet. I had to look beyond a lot because I had dated ugly, really cute, hot. In fact, this is, this is bad. I dated somebody so hot one time that people around me were saying, how did you get him? I had to confess, I have no idea either. I'm like, seriously, I don't know. I don't even know how I got that guy. Um, but he was so stinking funny. So I was like, I'll give him a shot. And I, my sister Faith said, you know, he could, get, he could get really fat. Are you sure if you marry him? I'm like, well, I'm not marrying him, so it's going to be okay. We dated for three years. He broke up with me three times. I've never been broken up with before up to that point. So that was a little crusher. He broke up with me for the first time over a sandwich. Yes, a sandwich. Um, and it was at the year mark, so the commitment level was getting pretty close, and I think he got a little scared, but it was a sandwich. And it's a good thing that I knew he was the one, because at the six months mark, now girls, I'm 24. You're thinking at 24, listen, I'm going to have to start pickling my eggs if something doesn't happen here. So, like, I'm going to ask God if he's the one. And I remember being so afraid. Like, I was so afraid. I remember where I was at, what I was doing when I finally got the courage up. Because what are the odds he's going to say yes? Not very good, because there's a lot of guys out there. So... When God told me yes, when he broke up with me for those three times, it helped me to endure because then I could be obedient to what he had told me. Now, Tom didn't know that. I never told him that. But being broken up with three times, ladies, is not fun, especially when the other two were for girls, other girls. And I will just tell you this because this is dang funny. I remember the second time we call her Summer Girl in the house. He broke up with me for Summer Girl. And, um, yeah, listen, he went from being like, no girl would ever look at him to being like, hello. Um, but I had a lot to do with that because I, he could not wear those shoes and he could not keep that hair and his clothes, they need to move, move forward. So let me just say, so let me go, let me digress back. Girls, if you're single, all the single ladies, all the single ladies, all the single ladies. Okay, you'll remember this because I sang that song. Never marry a guy unless God tells you he's the one. Amen. Never, ever, ever, ever. You'll live the worst life ever. And ladies, if you're married to the guy that God didn't tell you that he was the one, he is now. Make it work. So Tom meets this girl while I'm up in Virginia, and he now decides he wants to date her too. So he comes to my office, and he says, hey, I met this girl, and I'm just wondering, can I date you and her? Yeah, he's... Listen, girls, three years. I st when I started dating him, he was actually he's a year younger than me, but I felt like I was in high school all over again. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, no, you know how I date. You're not dating me and her. I like myself too much. Go date her. Yeah, never another lesson, ladies. Never think less of yourself. Oh, my gosh. Hey, listen, how I look at it is if you get me, you got lucky. So, you make it worthwhile. Don't put up with nothing. So, we get married. 
Tom is a very romantic person. I am not. And he's truly, when I say, we, play, we, we make fun of this, but truly he is the girl in the relationship. As far as, <laughs> as far as feelings, kindness, gentleness. You're probably not going to get a lot of that from me because apparently I'm missing a chip. But you're going to get a lot of that from him. Despite what you see up here, he is opposite. He's, he's the fun in the house. So we get married. And before we get married, my mother said, listen, in your seventh year of marriage, you are going to go into ministry. And I was like, oh, okay. I didn't, th- I didn't listen to it. The scripture, it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 20, 21, it says, do not sp- despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Listen, be very careful to who you allow to speak into your life. But when somebody speaks it, don't, especially if there's a chance it could be true because you can like totally mess up the course that God has for you. Be careful to who you allow to speak into your life, but receive it. If you know the person that is saying it, their heart is right. If they're prophetic, there's all your test the spirits. So... Third year of marriage, God tells me, yeah, you're going into ministry. So I'm thinking we're going to do like a marriage hub or something with our great three years of marriage. Like we're, we know what we're doing, you know? <laughs> now, four years later, we actually do step into ministry. And in that four-year time frame, how many of you know that God's caught a call for you? That God has told you you're going to do something, but it hasn't happened yet. I want you to remember this. Jesus... It says he grew in stature, right, and in wisdom. He did not start ministry until he was 30 years old. He did it for three years. His cousin, John the Baptist, 30 years old, only six months of ministry. And in that six months, he turned the world upside down. Can you imagine what we can do in six months if we did what he did? Upside down. If you're waiting for God to do something, I want you to know that every step of the way, not every job, but a lot of the jobs I've done prepared me for this. They do. You just don't know it. So I made a list. I'm like, Tom, I like lists. I'm very organized. And the people who are like work with me, they know I like organization. I like streamline. And if you're not like that, you're probably not going to work with me. Okay? And if you do, it won't be very long. So, I sold real estate. Okay? You say, well, how in the world would real estate help you? Well, you make a lot of money. That's, that's a good thing. But you learn people skills because you learn to read people. Discernment is great. I have, I have none. I am not a discerning person at all. At all. But people are people. And usually how they are. When you meet somebody, you are like, ah, oh, I've met that personality before. So probably they're going to be like this. Now, Tom's very discerning, and he can spot things a mile away. And I'm sitting there going, I don't see it. He's right every single time. You learn people skills. I mucked horse stalls. Now, girls, this is not when I was a teenager. <laughs> I wish to God it was. I was actually in my 30s. I mucked horse stalls. That would be, for the younger ones in here who don't know what that is, that's scooping poop. That's horse poop. And it wasn't a pleasant experience, but I knew I literally would be scooping the poop. And I said, Lord, I know you're going to use this one day. I know you're going to use this one day. (laughs) And he did. It taught me to be humble. And I'm not always humble, but for the most part, there isn't a job in this place that I haven't done from cleaning the toilets to mopping the floors. And that's not because of any other reason is I will not ask one person to do something that I am not willing to do myself. I ran in a team of men, ladies, about 11 men. And they all turned on me. (laughs) Because we were out in the heat in the summer Digging ditches. Yes, I was digging ditches. Digging ditches 
to lay Fios cable. How many of you guys know what Fios cable are? You can thank me because I'm the reason you have it. Probably. Just kidding. But seriously, it's not a fun job. But I learned to be bold. In that, when you have to tell men what to do, and you're my size, I was a little thinner back then, um, men don't want to listen to you, so you have to learn to be bold and, and not be afraid to address issues that need to be addressed. I homeschooled my kids. Now, I don't really know if this is really a skill set other than I learned that I learned one of the Ten Commandments. How about that? Thou shalt not kill. <laughs> or commit murder. I'm still here today because of it. I'm not in jail. Yeah. I owned a cleaning crew, a cleaning company. So I started this cleaning company, and I had some people working with me, and then I would be doing it by myself as well. You have to have some stamina. Ladies, who, if you clean, you know it. I love to clean but I'm glad I don't do it anymore. The stamina you have to have to clean is crazy if you're going to be a good cleaner. But you also have to have some fortitude, right? You just got to... Whatever God has called you to be, know that whatever you're doing right now, don't ignore the skill sets that he's trying to set you up with so that when you step out into ministry, you're actually doing it in excellence. Because he's not, he just doesn't do it for any reason. A lot of times, if you take the job that God tells you to take, then he's, get, he's telling you to take it so that he's preparing you along the way for ministry. Now, I was listening to a John G. Lake sermon, and he said something that I literally was like, back it up. I played that, and I played it. And in the sermon, he said, you, oh, they had to do it that way. Can you guys see that? Okay. You are just as necessary to God for the salvation of mankind as God is necessary to you. And then he said, that is a tremendous statement. And he goes, I want to repeat it because it should have been repeated. Because he said, Christians are just as necessary to Almighty God in order to accomplish his purpose in the world as God is necessary to the Christian. How many of you guys have ever thought of yourself like that? I personally, I have to tell you, that's why I said back it up. Because all the time I think, God, I need you. What would I do without you? And that is true. I never, since I walked away, I know what it's like not to have him. And I never, ever, ever want to live life like that again. But even more so to know that he needs me, like I never looked at it like that. I always thought it was an honor to do his work, whatever he called me to do. I never looked at it as, he has to have me. Who will do it if I don't do it? You have to look at it like that because then you'll answer the call. I'm going to tell you, uh, um, one time I was praying and God gave me a phenomenal analogy because I just kept saying, Lord, I want to be used for you. I want to be used for you. But I just, I just don't know. Like, and the Lord was so sweet to me. He said, you can go to heaven being a plain vase. He's the potter. We are the clay, correct? You can go to, you can go, you can put it up there, baby girl. You can go to heaven and you can be a plain vase. And that'll be fine. Or you can let me put you on the wheel and make you something special. But, you can change that, sweetie. But the thing is, is in order to be that special vase, I'm going to have to put tools to you. I'm going to have to take some stuff out. I'm going to add some stuff in. And it won't always be pleasant. But by the time I'm done with you, you will be beautiful. And the thing is, is you are more used, you are more sought after, you are more longed for, the more ornate you are, because you're different. And people are like, what's up with that? All of us can go to heaven just being, just being us. But how much more precious and powerful are we when we allow God to mold us, to make us into who he wants us to be, so that we're effective for so many? 
Does that make sense? Jesus spoke a parable. And in the parable, it's the parable of the lost coin. And I'm going to read it to you. Luke 15, 8 through 10 says, Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls herself, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I have lost. And likewise, I say to you, the angels of God rejoice over one sinner who repents. There's a couple things in that story that I found very interesting. We all know that angels rejoice when we are found. But what I find very interesting is the lengths that this woman would go to find the one coin. In today's world, we'd say we've got nine. We've lost one, but we still have the nine. So, okay, I'll just not worry about it. No, the lost one was important as the nine. It's just like the parable of the sheep. When the shepherd left the 99 and went to go find the one. If you do not know him tonight, you are that coin. And here's the thing. For me, silver represents, see, coins are worth something, right? But silver is usually what we see a lot of coin made out of. Silver in the Bible represents redemption. And sometimes you have to dig real deep for that redemption. And some of you in here have been fighting it and fighting it and fighting it. And then there are some, it's very simple for you to go, I need Jesus. I'm just going to do it. Me, when I got that dream, I did another three months of just living the life. I had to dig deep to be redeemed. But redemption is for all of us. The coin represents our value, but it also represents the lengths of how far God will go for us. Not only did he send his one and only son, but the length that he will go for us to, to find us, to get us, to keep us. And sometimes we don't really realize our value because life and people and circumstances have made us believe we're not of any worth. We look at ourselves as the tangible world and people have told us we are. But you don't see you like he sees you. And as soon as you do, then you will find your value and who you are. It'll change your world. It'll turn it upside down. You just have to be willing to get that revelation and then act in it. It's like a woman who keeps dating the same man over and over and over and over again because that's all she thinks she's worth. But then something happens. She gets a little click. And she's like, you know, and I ain't going to that same bar all the time. I ain't going and doing that same thing all the time. I'm not. I'm going to try something new. And then the world changes for her because she's made a decision, and that's the same thing you have to do with Jesus. You have to make the decision. It has to also to do with you stepping out in ministry. It's no different as the person who doesn't understand or keeps fighting being saved. You fighting, being, fighting doing your calling is really no different. Sometimes it's laziness, and sometimes it's insecurity. Whatever it is, you need to drop it, and you need to step out. You need to do what he's called you to do. Proverbs 31.10 says, Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. That's who we are. That's how God looks at us. He looks at us as a gem, as something special, something important. Each section, there is one ribbon. And it's at the front of your, of your, um, of your leg. So in this section... You have one person in a seat, and Heather knows who they are in case one of the seats aren't being taken. There's a ribbon up at the very top of your seat on the leg. And on it, if you have the ribbon, Heather, you want to 
tell who they are in case they don't have a seat. Whoever's sitting closest to it is going to get it. I didn't want to do that. For the record, I knew it would be. Okay. Understand your value. You are as precious as any kind of gem that's your favorite. Wouldn't we all love this? Hey, Miss Lynn, how much would one of these cost? She's my jeweler. God, I would love that. I'd need somebody to walk around and hold my hand up. I'd pay for that. I'm not kidding you. I'd pay for it. You are, this is a placeholder, and I want whoever gets these, I want you to put this on some place that's super important that you see all the time, because I want it to be a reminder of who you are in Christ. When Jesus looks at you, he sees something precious. He sees something beautiful. And never forget that. Never, it's you, seriously, you are priceless. Everybody's been given personalities, gifts, talents, abilities, and you need to use them, and you need to use them for him. Some of us have, when we, when, I'm, I'm sure some of us can relate to this, some of us are trying to do certain things, and we are trying to get out there, and we've been doing soul winning here. And rejection is at an all-time high when you go out and do that. We all know that. But there's where fortitude comes in. And you, you hear, how many of you guys have ever done sales before? You know, like if you're a salesperson, like we sell Jesus, right? But if you've ever done sales before, which has been pretty much all my life, it is said for every 10 no's, you get one yes. So it's a numbers game. It's not personal. It's just a numbers game. So you, wanna, you want to be effective and you want to, to do things for people, but be very careful about who you invest in when you're doing them. Because the word is very clear that we are not to put, cast our pearls to swine because it's just like Jesus when he told his disciples, go into the cities and if no one will have you, go out of that city, dust off your sandals. That is a high insult For anybody who lives in the Middle East, like you are just like, you are giving some big old cuss words at that city for them not receiving you. It says, Matthew 7, 6, do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Know your value. If somebody doesn't receive you, leave. Let them be. It's like a man that rejects you and rejects you and rejects you, like I've been rejected three times, right? The one thing I never did is I never called. I never tried to talk to him. I still came to the same church. I didn't leave the church because we broke up. And my heart was broken, but you know what? He was never going to know it, ever, because I like myself too much. I'm like, no, you know what? He made his decision. I'm going to continue on with my Christian walk. I'm going to continue on with my life. If that's what he feels he has to do, but he's coming back to me because God told me. He just doesn't know it. Lo and behold, every time with jewelry. Gotta love it. (laughs) Worked for me. The pain wasn't that great, but the jewelry was phenomenal. (laughs) Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. Ladies, get a plan. Okay, it's really great if you come to this conference and you sit here and you go, yep, that was speaking to me. Yep, I probably need to do that. Yeah, I need to get saved. My heart's pounding out of my chest right now. Yes, one of them are speaking to me. But if you do not establish a plan and you do not put it into place, then this, you've just wasted how many hours? 72? What's the point? Like, my time is worth something, you should value your time, right? So if you're going to do this, put into practice what you feel like God is telling you to do. The world is very logical. 
but the spiritual world is very illogical. But actually, it's more logical than the world. And the reason so the world will tell you, keep your money, go to the doctor, and you don't need a higher power because that's a bunch of junk. The spiritual world would say, you need salvation. Healing comes through the price that was paid on the cross. Prosperity was given to you because he became poor so that you might be rich. See, the spiritual realm is actually more logical. More logical. The problem is, is none of us know it because we will live in the world more than we live in the spirit. And that's a fact. That is a fact. If you are not fasting on a regular basis, you're missing it. You should be fasting with as much world as you are taking in. You should be fasting a day a week. And I'm not kidding you. I'm being dead serious. If you looked at your screen hours, whether it be on the computer, the TV, or your phone, you might feel ashamed because you want things and you expect things, but you do nothing in the spiritual realm to get them. Nothing. And so when you fast, you're killing that carnal nature. You're killing that carnal. You are not moving God. You are moving you out of the way. And that's how you do it. Fasting. If you're not spending time in prayer, in, in Bible time, don't think you're going to accomplish anything. Because you can't, especially in the world that we live in today. It is not possible. You will spin your wheels. You'll be like a hamster on a, on a wheel, and you're going to go, why, am, why is nothing happening? It's because you're not investing. Not investing. If you want things, you invest things. Hey, Aaron and Norma, you guys can come up. What time did we start? We started at 7, right? Okay. Aaron, Norma. I could be like Pastor Rodney and just keep repeating. Aaron, Norma. Aaron, Norma. He's probably running from back somewhere because it's crazy. I hear the rumblings of the weather. Thank you, Aaron. We're going to take giving as an example. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, 2 Corinthians says, He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Those who sow bountifully will reap bountifully. Now, I know this to be true in my own life. And then some of you guys, you give, but I have literally, this is funny to me. And if it insults you, I would say I care, but I don't. Okay. All right. When you write your check out and you make it for $123.04, you can keep your four cents. Seriously, if you think God needs your four cents, seriously, I'm not kidding. You think about that. $123.04. Think about that. Seriously. That's, you can't round up for God. I'm not kidding you. You guys are like looking at me like I'm crazy here. We're talking about God. He lets you keep 90 and you're going to give him four cents. I don't get it. Those who so sparingly will also reap sparingly. You wonder why your finances are in the state that they are in, but you're sparingly sowing. It's a biblical principle. And if you open your word, like I'm suggesting you do every day, you will see it. You have not because you ask not. You don't know promises because you don't know what's in that word to claim for yourself. There are so many promises in there, ladies, and we lack so many things because we don't know that we can ask for them. It's truth. I'm going to tell you something. Tom and I have always been tithers. Always. We've been tithers and we've always given an offering. And we've always given far above, even when it might not have been there. But that's when you give even more. Because you're kind of giving a black eye to the devil because you know God's, you know who God is. And I remember, I remember about 15, 20 years ago, 
um, we got a letter in the mail from our mortgage company. And the letter said, we are removing $100,000 off of what you own your home. Okay, I, I nearly fell out. I was like, okay, this, is, this letter's not real, because you know, fraud. This letter's not real. There's a, this is a scam. There's no way, because Tom and I never reached out to our mortgage company, not once to ask for anything like that. Um, there was no reason, no reason whatsoever to get this. And so I call up my girlfriend because you get the letter on a Friday night. So you can't even call the next morning, right? So you get the, I got the letter on a Friday night and I call up my girlfriend who's a mortgage broker. I'm like, what the heck? How does this happen? Is this even real? Could this be real? She's like, yeah, I've only heard of it one other time. And it happened to another Christian couple. And I was like, yeah, but it wasn't as much as ours. So I call up the mortgage company first thing Monday morning. And I'm like, I got this letter and this cannot be real. She's like, let me look in your notes. And you know how they make notes on everything. If you go to the bathroom, they're, they're writing it in the mortgage thing. I mean, they know your business like better than you. So she looks it up and she goes, yeah, you're getting $100,000. It's coming off of your mortgage. I'm like, how in the world did that happen? We never asked for that. And they go, I don't, we don't know. We just, it's in the notes. An attorney said, you're getting $100,000 off of your mortgage. And this is how you're going to do it when you get your tax bill. I was like, that's some good stuff right there. Tom retires. Before Tom retires, if any of you guys are in the FLV or FL, is it FL? No, that's FLVS's school. If you're in the FRS system, how that works is um, you have like 25 years if you're a, a police officer. It's a little more if you're like a teacher. So for 25 years you serve, you get, you get your retirement. Now you can get it in two different ways. You can get your retirement in one lump sum, which they really don't like you to take. And then they can get, you can take it in um, like a monthly pension. And then they offer you what's called the drop. So you'll work for an additional five years, but while you're getting paid, you're making even more money on the back end. Like it's a really good deal. Well, if you do the drop, you don't get to pull all your money out. And excuse me, I just burped. And and then the Florida retirement system, it it went it went from like an A to like a C or a D at that time. And Tom's like, yeah, we're not doing it. We're getting out. They had already messed up our pension before, um, making us pay into it and all this other stuff. He's like, no, I don't trust them. We're pulling all of it out. I'm like, okay, but you don't get to do the drop if you wanted to do it. He's like, I don't care. I'm just, we're going to just trust God. Well, where's Vanessa? Where's my girl? Vanessa. Vanessa's married to a very brilliant financial advisor. And so we give our money to Jeff Tomas. And he was a Christian. His company is a Christian company. He pays tithe. He prospers because of his tithe. He's a strong biblical principle of his. So we give our pension, our Tom's retirement to him. He puts it in a safe um, place. And a year later, he calls us up and says, hey, you're coming up on when you would renew. Now, there's another company. They are doing a sign-on bonus, basically the same kind of deal as you already have, but you get a sign-on bonus if you go with them. Well, Tom's like, well, what's the bonus? The bonus was more than what he would have made if he got worked for five years in the, in, in the Florida retirement system. I'm not kidding. God said to test him in giving. And the reason he says test him is because he knows he's going to show up and show off every single time. One last one. Now, Tom and I, you would think because in our personal finances, we've always paid tithe. But in the church, how many of you guys are pastor wives in here? Okay. I know you, so this don't apply. But people who are have churches and our pastors, usually they don't, it doesn't click in their head to give on what they have coming in. I don't know why that is. We, you just don't. So Tom and I were not paying tithe, even though we were giving 
a lot of money away to people who were in this church, to missions, to other things. We, we never held on to the money. We always gave, but the word says to give to a storehouse. We weren't doing that. And we probably weren't giving as much as we should have, even though we were giving a lot away. So um, Tom felt led at the river one night. And he, as he has told a lot of people he, to Jonathan, and he said, you know, I feel like the Lord is telling me I am to pay or I'm going to give our tithe every 10% we get in for this building or for, this, uh, for our church, I'll send half to you and I'm going to send half to Pastor Rodney. Be very careful who you invest in. You want to invest in something that is like-minded with you, not just because you're supposed to. A lot of denominations, you're supposed to give to the denomination that you're under. But I would say to you, are they operating in biblical principles? It's a big thing. At that time, we had $30,000 in the bank. We had about 3,500 on average coming in tithe. We started giving half of everything we had. Listen, I know because I do the books. We started giving half to Pastor Rodney, half to Revival, okay? And, or Pastor Jonathan, um, not to them personally, to their ministries. We not only gave them the 10%, but then we upped it and we gave them even more than that because we needed a building. So we went from $30,000 and in two years, we grew, outgrew the building we were in we had $1.2 million in the bank. We put $750,000 on this building in January. We have $340,000 in the bank today. And we've put $600,000 in repairs in this building cash. You go from a 7,500-square-foot building where you rent to a... 52,000 square foot building that you own. Praise the Lord, I agree. We currently have, church-wise, we currently have the largest South County church building. We went from renting to owning like that, because that's our God. Test Him. Do not do what is logical. Do what is illogical. Let go of the world's philosophies, the Lord's or the world's mindset. Isaiah 55, 9 says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways. Higher than your ways and my thoughts, higher than your thoughts. Listen, you think you know. Listen, you know nothing. You know nothing. And as soon as you let go, and you let God take over, you're gonna, your mind's gonna be blown. I went from being a hot mess, a Lucille Ball lunatic for four years. I used to think, oh my gosh, I, the calamity is everywhere that I go. Okay, I was making most of the calamity, but even still, calamity is everywhere I go. I went from dreaming of a life to living that life. That is you. That is you guys. You are no different. Some of you right now, your hearts are pounding out of your chest because you relate to what I'm saying. The only problem is you're the old hope. You are not the new hope. And God wants you to be the new hope. He wants you to have the same thing I have. He wants you to be able to wake yourself up every morning and pinch yourself because you can't believe how great life really is. I don't care about COVID. COVID, I don't care about all this other stuff that's going on. It's irrelevant when you live in the spiritual realm. What is spiritual is more real than what is not spiritual. It's true. The only reason it's not true for you, potentially, is because you're not there yet. But this church can help you get there and you have to be willing. So let's close our eyes, bow our heads, and I'm speaking to a few of you. Some of you have never, ever taken the step and said, Lord, 
I'm going to let you be Lord of my life. I'm tired of doing things all on my own because all I keep doing is screwing them up. And then there's some of you in this room, you've tasted and seen that God is good. He was so good. But now you don't even know how you can get back to what you once knew. And God is all he's doing is saying, I'm ready. I'm pursuing you like that coin, like that lost sheep. I am pursuing you. That's the reason why different things tug at your heart or you cry when you hear something that you should never normally have cried out. If that speaks to you, I ask you to raise your hand right now. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. And then the next thing I'm going to ask you to do is to be like I was when I worked with those guys digging the ditches. Be bold. Stand to your feet and come forward. Be bold. He is worthy. If I am speaking to you in the hands that are raised, be bold. Stand up and come forward, please. And I will wait on you. The angels are rejoicing, my friends. The angels are rejoicing. And the thing is, is I'm going to pray. If you're, you raised your hand and you're not coming forward, I'm going to pray even though you think you can ask Jesus into your heart back there. I'm going to say, Jesus, don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. They're chickens. Jesus said, if you deny me before all men, I'll deny you. And this is your chance. Praise you, Lord. Collectively, we all rejoice. Amen, ladies. Amen. You guys, today is a new day. Today, tomorrow morning, you wake up and you start afresh and anew. Amen. Amen. Let's say this prayer together. Oh, my little girl. I rejoice. Say this prayer. Lord, I come to you right now. And I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And from this moment forward, I give my life to you. Old things have passed away. And all things become new. And I'm going to give my life to you. And I'm going to live it to the fullest. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Girls, you made my night. You made my night. Now let me ask you this. This is a call to action. How many of you guys know that God has called you to do something more than what you're doing right now? If that's you, stand up. Ah. Ugh. Okay, someday you might be the one up here speaking. Seriously. Some of you in this room, I already know it's the case. Someday you might be teaching. You might be speaking. You might be changing the lives of others. But maybe you might be the lucky one. And I say this sincerely. You might be the lucky one to share Jesus with a child for the first time ever. How precious is that to know We have nursery and toddler. You get to share the love of Christ for the first time. Because the word says that the ones that are not here reap a higher reward than the ones that are in the back. If you're in the back and you're doing the tough job, you will reap. This job gets glory. It also gets a lot of not glory. But I'm just saying, back there, it's when no one notices. He notices. He notices. Ladies, we're going to do a call to action prayer. You don't have to say anything. I'm going to speak over you. Just like a blessing. In, in a biblical times, a blessing, when a father gave a blessing to his child, his first son, that changed everything. Everybody wanted to be first. Everybody. Everybody wanted to be first. And in this case, we don't live like that anymore. So you all are firsts. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just come to you, and God, I just thank you for these ladies. 
I know that they know that you have a call on their lives. And Lord, they stand tonight because they want you to prepare them, to show them, to bring it to fruition. And Father, we just thank you that every hand that they touch, every life that is, is going to come in into their way, that that life will never be the same. Never be, everything they put their hand to will prosper. They will find favor wherever they go. And Lord, wherever you have them right now, allow them to see that it's what they are doing right now that is preparing the way for ministry. And in some cases, Lord, these people, some of these people need to be doing it right now. So I ask that, Father, if you attend Foundation Church, you would tell them to go see Heather right after this meeting and put them in place where they need to be, right? Volunteering, doing something for him. We praise you. We thank you for this in Jesus' mighty name.